0: All right, welcome to the podcast, Bob. Thank you. Really happy to have you on. There's a ton of things I want to cover today, especially with this interview being a little different than the others in which this is the first episode of a mini series we'll be doing, focusing on IIoT in the automotive market. Uh, More specifically, we're in this moment of time where high-level autonomous vehicles are transitioning from a concept to reality. So we're here today to talk about the technical side of how autonomous vehicles will become that reality and for that to happen there's a lot of things on the system side that need to be addressed. So with all of that being said let's just jump right in and start by telling us a little bit about yourself in regards to your role here at RTI. Sure. I'm the senior director of market development for autonomous systems.
1: And, and when we look at systems, we see in a lot of commonality between whether it's cars or trucks or autonomous boats or submarines. And we're involved in all of those. But clearly the biggest market that we're looking at is automotive, just its size and the amount of investment there. It's, it's the, Really, a, a a key market for RTI's growth and commercial. We're investing quite a bit in automotive, and uh, my role is to work with our sales teams, work with our, our, our um, product management teams, work with our partners, and also with our strategic customers, try and develop that market for RTI, position as well, and um, help um, everybody you know succeed and you know try and get us pulling on the uh, in the same direction and on the same page.
0: Right. As a way to introduce the technical side, can you start by giving us a brief overview of the autonomous vehicle technology market today? You know, automotive systems, subsystems, proprietary solutions at a very high level. How do these work and where does connectivity and interoperability come into play. Mm-hmm. Sure, the the that's a, a wide-ranging question. There's a <laughs> lot of complexity built <laughs> into that question and
1: and uh, in lots of areas you could you could delve into, but if we if we try and simplify it a little bit, an autonomous system is really a robotic system and they're doing three main things: sensing the environment, um, processing on that environment and then acting on the environment. And that's essentially a cycle or a loop that's happening over and over and over again. So, uh, if we want to break that down a little further, when we look at a, uh, self-driving car or, or any kind of autonomous driving vehicle, especially they have a sensor package that's looking at the environment and depending on, you know, what level autonomy you're talking about, whether it's, you know, simple driver assist level technology to more complicated, highly or fully autonomous vehicles will dictate what you know, level of fidelity and what, how much data you're going to be collecting. So, how many LIDAR sensors, how many radar sensors, how many other points of, of input. And that's your, your sense part. Um, that has to be rationalized. We have to get a, you know, a understanding of what the world is from that sensor package. And we call that sensor fusion. And then there's the thinking, okay, what do I do with this information? Am I going to, going to turn left? Am I going to go straight? Am I going to turn right? What's the environment? Uh, what's going on in the environment? Uh, analyzing the different, Actors like people or bicycles or cars and then making decisions and planning uh, essentially what the car is going to do is, is the thinking part. And then the acting is going out and, you know, turning the wheel and pushing the brake and pushing the gas and, and uh, actually taking some physical action in that environment, which, you know, then changes the environment and the cycle, cycle starts all over again. Uh, so that's, that's the high level. Um, connectivity is really about connecting all these different things together and we say thinking is not necessarily one system thinking we've got different levels of thinking where you know you're looking at what the environment looks like but you're also checking to see that you're not going to run into anything in a very simple way so it's more reliable and we also have uh thinking about how's the engine working and that's more traditional Autonomous vehicle technology that really doesn't have anything to do with autonomous driving just is the car functioning property But all these systems still need to share information if your engine isn't working You're not going to be able to push the gas and go forward. So they all have to be connected mm-hmm. um, So when we're looking at everything in the car, we're talking about hundreds of ECUs and we're talking about uh, Some that are very complex and and have a lot of capacity to analyze and some that are very simple um, And then we have sensors and then we have actuators and all these things need to communicate with each other So it's really a very complex distributed system with many components, all in this very small, tight package. Um, So connectivity is is about connecting all these things together. And then when you add things like V to X and V to I, or connecting to the Cloud and connecting to other systems, now you have external connections as well, which is also part of your connectivity solution.
0: Right. So I think this is actually a good segue to bring Connect DDS into the conversation. How does Connect DDS work with enabling AI into these systems? So AI is the, I guess the highest level
1: in terms of complexity of what's going on in, in the thinking um, part of the part of the car. And what Connects DDS does is provide data. Simply it just provides data to that system. Um, that's really what we're doing, is providing data. And If you're talking with an AI developer, they're going to have lots of different types of data that they want. They're going to want to have a a, a rich breadth and depth of data because that allows them to analyze the environment better. And what DDS does is give access to all that data and hopefully in a normalized sort of common way. So no no matter what type of LiDAR you have or what type of radar you have, you're getting that data consistently in the same way so you can um, process it by
0: by your AI. AI algorithm. For our automotive listeners, can you tell them briefly about the layered data bus and how it works with autonomous vehicle systems?
1: Yeah. Uh, so uh, layered data bus is a, a concept and a term that was developed by the um, Industrial Internet Consortium, which is a uh, IoT, Industrial Internet of Things um, Consortium that that RTI is a member of. And we helped write a few documents and specifications. And one of the things that came out of that work uh, collaborating with other companies was this concept of a layered data bus and the layered data bus allows you to identify different, um, I guess planes of either control or, or information within a system. So within an autonomous vehicle that maybe have different conditions or parameters around it. So an AI might be concerned with. Um, you know, all the sensor data that's coming in and what control do I have over, over the system? And it needs that data, you know, um, let's say 20 times a second and it has to process it with a certain speed and it needs a certain bandwidth. And, and there's things that we call quality of service that determine how reliable should that data be? Do I retransmit the data if I miss it? How much history do I need in that data? And, and so that, although that information would define this higher level, uh, layer in the data bus that the AI needs, but there's other layers. There's other types of data necessary at a, at a lower layer. When we're talking about. You know things like engine control. The engine needs to know that there's fuel coming. You know it needs to know how far the gas lever is depressed. It needs to provide that information. Perhaps some of that information about the engine to an uh, infotainment system or or an instrument cluster, and uh, that may have a very different parameters than the uh, in terms of how that data is consumed and what type of data is needed than the AV system. And then if we go the other way there is data that's sent back to the cloud. So uh, there's uh, data, that not all the data, but some of the data may be sent back to the cloud. It may not have a reliability constraint. We may not want to retransmit it. We may have bandwidth constraints we want to consider. And so we may need a different set of rules for how we transmit data back to the cloud. So this layered data bus concept allows us to use the same standard, uh, usually consistent or compatible data model. So we're t- really talking about the same types of data, but different conditions and different rules about how that data is managed for different parts of the system and allows us to have a very standardized way to communicate between these different systems without having new protocols and and um, uh, you know gateways and and other bridges we just have this concept of layered data bus which um, naturally allows you to define these these different um, conditions for use of data
0: right Actually, in a previous podcast, I talked to a fellow RTI employee, Brett Murphy, and he was giving this use case about how these big wind turbines use data buses. And there's a data bus running in the actual wind turbine, and then there's a data bus running the farm of wind turbines, and maybe another one uh, running the control center. Could that use case kind of be applicable to autonomous vehicles uh, eventually? Eventually, yeah.
1: The, The difference with autonomous vehicles, I think, versus wind turbines is one company is building the wind turbines in the entire system and they compose their... Um, their architecture on the whole thing. When we're talking about autonomous vehicles, even within the car, it's not just one company often. And so the ecosystem is much more complex and, and maybe not as clean and not as elegant and certainly not consistent from company to company and project to project. But, um, but we can still apply it. And, and the simplest way to look at it is there's, there's the traditional CAN bus and you could call that a layer in the data bus. And as we're all the low level EC is the, the, hardware communication system, all the low-level ECUs to communicate with each other. And it's a safety critical system and and does things like apply the brakes and turn on the lights and open the doors. Uh, then there's a layer up from that where we're we're gathering data for the system in typically still a safety critical domain where we may need safety certification in that domain. And this is where Connects DDS can start to play. And this will be data that some of that CAN bus data, but also additional sensor data that's fed into things like um, perception and planning algorithm. Um, then there'll be another layer within the car that would be uh, more for the infotainment or instrument cluster. It may or may, may, or may not have any uh, safety criticality to it, but it is, it's is—it's going to take a smaller subset of that lower level data because you don't need you know, data as frequency when you're displaying it on a screen for a person as you do when you're planning an AI algorithm. So we've already got... Three layers here, um, and then we could add a, a fourth layer, which is connecting regionally between different cars within your fleet. For example, so if you're managing a, a fleet of cars and you have autonomous vehicles, especially, and you want to, um, you know, know where they are or what ones require gas within the next or a charge within the next, you know, twenty minutes or half hour, and then you may, you know, give some special instructions to, you know, go go fill up or go to the closest station, um, or you want to know what sort of events. You you know, is someone at a red light? Is is there a car that's you know having trouble, either mechanical issues or can't navigate around a pothole, for example? Mm-hmm. Um, that could be the next layer up in, in the data bus.
0: I want to talk a little bit about the sensors that are attached to autonomous vehicles. Uh, autonomous vehicles have several sensors that produce data from radar, lidar, cameras, etc. But individually, these sensors don't have enough information to realize what's happening around the vehicle until they can all talk to each other and share data, in turn, enabling the vehicle to perceive that clear, coherent picture of its environment. Can you talk about how the data fusion that's happening here supplements these applications, what that means and how EDS enables it? Sure. So sensor fusion is one of the really hard problems
1: in in autonomous system development, and uh, there's some really impressive algorithms out there. Um, we've seen things like navigating left turns really well, and. Um, identifying people and bicycles and all these things. And all that's because of sensor fusion. But it's still really, really hard because there's a never ending long tail of use cases. You could work for years and years and years and years and years. And there's always going to be a condition that you've never come across. There's too many permutations in the world. So, sensor fusion is is collecting all the data that you have and so that's going to be lidar data which gives you very precise distance information of everything in your environment uh, radar information which can uh, do things like see through fog and and very reliably tell you is there something in front of you and how far away is it and then camera data which gives you a you know a 2d picture of the world that you need to then interpret um, and then we may add things like gps and and other things into the into that world And all of them are going to have a different set of information about what's out there. There, Some of them will see trees, some of them will not see trees. Most of them will see a car, but you may see five or six cars. And how do you know that the car in the camera is the same as the car in the LiDAR, which is the same as the car in the radar? Mm -hmm. So sensor fusion is about combining all of that information together Figuring out what objects, what the objects are and ensuring that you're counting those objects once between all of your data inputs and then creating some sort of, you know, labeled model about what's out there in the environment um so that you have uh, as accurate as possible a picture of what's there and to do any planning or any algorithms it really depends on how accurate the information you have is about the environment and and we've seen we've seen um things in the news where uh, you know, uh, the truck wasn't visible to, to the camera because it was the same color as the sky. And so we couldn't yeah. see that, couldn't see that truck. Well, uh, well, could LiDAR see the truck? Could radar see the truck? And, and could you then figure out that there's a truck there, even though the camera can't see the truck because, because it's sort of washed out, uh, with the, um, with the, 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 the lighting conditions. So those are the, those are the things that uh, sensor fusion does. And we're, Connects DDS helps is giving, um, giving developers the ability to process information and collect that information in a consistent way, but also Uh, reliably get information from all of the sensors. So if you're developing a sensor fusion algorithm, the the last thing you want to worry about is, am I I getting my data reliably from the LiDAR sensor? Am I getting my data reliably from the cameras? What happens if the network drops a frame? What do I do? Uh, That's not really part of a sensor fusion algorithm, but as you move into a production system, it's a critical consideration to make a reliable system. So what we do is make sure that that data gets there reliably gets there in a in a in a consistent way that you can expect uh, within your algorithm and then normalize data across you know all the different types of systems you can so you have a common data model that everybody uses and, and so this won't help you create a better sensor fusion algorithm but once you've created one it'll help you create a more reliable and robust sensor fusion system
0: right I think it's interesting to think that developers are designing these systems for a market that hasn't been super clearly defined yet, which I'm sure can make it difficult to prepare how your system runs over time. So how are autonomous vehicle companies considering the future uh, of their systems as, autonomous vehicle, as the autonomous vehicle market evolves?
1: I don't think there's a consistent answer to that. Uh- at one level, this is a scramble for IP generation, who's got the best IP, um, and some companies are investing in getting their product to market, and so there's a level of IP in that, and that making the whole system work, and making it reliable, and being able to sell it, and others are looking at very specific parts of the technology, like I'm just going to build maybe as narrow as the LiDAR, but Let's say the sensor fusion algorithm and build a really good one, or I'm just going to build the package that does the sensing and the thinking. And then I'll sell it to someone else to install in an actual car that, you know, then we'll integrate the, the acting part and, and make the system work. So with all the competition and all the investment going on, it's, it's. Mostly chaos, I'd say, in in how uh, companies are approaching the future, trying to get trying to leverage their strengths and get as much traction as they want. But at the end of the day, what they're trying to do is is get to market first with a reliable reliable technology in a, a business that makes money that you know allows them to scale and 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 um, you know win the day and. And I think we've taken a step back recently from trying to achieve full autonomy. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a change perhaps in the last year is that we're looking at how can we practically apply this technology where we're looking at maybe, uh, humans still in the loop or, um, high levels of autonomy and in, in closed, closed conditions, like within certain cities or certain routes. And we're seeing a real, uh, um, uh, a real push within things like trucking and mining for that, because the problems are a little simpler, and there's a real value to be had from from deploying these technologies into these more industrial applications that have real problems to solve, compared to the general you know passenger car market, which is really an arms race at this point, and 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 nobody knows if we're going to have uh, the promise of autonomous vehicles in two years or twenty years, um, and it all depends on how you define it.
0: Well, as we wrap up here, I do have one last question for you, Bob. In your opinion, what do you think the most important thing for developers who are building autonomous vehicles to know about autonomous vehicle development? Uh, Well, I think um, what
1: we see most often, and I'm not going to even... Try to pretend to tell developers how to build an autonomous vehicle <laughs> because, because frankly, we don't we don't know how to do that, and that's our not our strength. Um, go and build an autonomous vehicle. But when you want something to work reliably, when you want to get it to production, then that's where we can help. And and I think what we see most often is people not understanding the jump in complexity when you're building. Um, a system that's running under controlled test systems, compared to a system that needs to scale and go out into the market and function with, you know, all these new test cases that the general public will do that you never thought of, and and we can help with that because we can provide a very reliable foundation for you to build your software on, and and we've been doing it for. For, for many many years and work with autonomous systems long before it was a buzzword in in the automotive industry um, in in things like the military and in other uh, and other applications so what I'd say is don't try and do everything yourself and when it, even when it comes to software, there is expertise out there, like from RTI, that, that you can leverage to, you know, take care of some of the difficult but maybe less fun problems um, uh, that, that's, that's infrastructure and communication.
0: Right. it's good advice. Bob, I want to thank you for coming back onto the podcast for a second time and uh, discussing this cool and exciting time where autonomous vehicles are indeed going from concept to reality. So thanks again. Thank you.